Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father, open our mind of understanding that we may be able to perceive and understand what your will is in our lives and how we would shape our lives so that we will express the vision of God, not just to ourselves, but to everyone who you have put into our lives. May your word go out with strength and with grace and move us toward the vision of God. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. The two parts to this verse, the first part is without vision, people perish. The second part is, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Vision has something to do with the law. Vision is not something that we see necessarily. It is something that we learn. Without sight, man loses a critical component that allows him to live. He must learn to supplement his visual perception with other senses, thus limiting his ability to function at a full capacity. Sight is a necessity for being alive. They gone down to the Mariana Trench, which is one of the lowest places in the ocean. It is called the Challenger Deep. It is the lowest point for now until they find something else. They found these creatures in the depth of the ocean. They presume, they assume that they didn't need eyes. Mm. Well, they found some that have eyes. So, uh, even in the depths, the lowest depth, they don't have the visual system that we have. We can look at the gospel in the same light. Without the gospel, we can't see the truth. And we substitute the vision of God. Vision of God is ultimate happiness. That's what vision of God is. In the ancient uh, times, in the forefathers, they used this term called beatific vision, which means that being able to see God's glory. The idea is when you see God's glory, that is when you have the ultimate grasp of what being happy is, is when you see God's glory. Imagine when you see someone who is beautiful and their beauty kind of captivating and you can't get your eyes off of that beauty. You can't but look or think or captured by that beauty. That is, in some way, can explain what it means to behold the glory of God. And that beauty, when you are beholding someone's beauty, you forget everything else. It seems for an instance, for a moment, things just seem to be so happy happy it's not something tangible it's not something that you have or hold or possess but it's something that you behold for some miracle that you are able to be captivated for a long time then that beauty somehow sustain your happiness in some way explains what the beauty of god is that's the beatific vision is that you are able to be behold god's glory in a extended period of time and that brings you happiness. And now, take that and put it into eternity. And that is what beatific vision or full beatific vision really is, is the ability to capture God's beauty and behold His beauty and be rapturous in the beauty of God. We can't see God's beauty. So what we do is we Photoshop or filters. I got a couple of pictures sent to me. I know this person. I just don't know what I'm looking at. This person has taken a picture of their kids using Snapchat filters. Look nice, just doesn't look human. 
it looked like anime characters. Yeah, with that, with the eyes. Oh, yeah. So um, we tried to invent uh, our vision of what beauty is, and we uh, substitute because we don't see God's beauty. A lot of the world is focused on sight, on vision, things that we see. Other people are leaning toward philosophy, cognitive beauty, whether it is uh, equation, whether it is poetry, literature, those kind of beauty. Yesterday, I was looking at video of this person who had passed away, and they, they put up these quotes from these philosophers. They're beautiful, but they're very humanistic. Um, centered, and we substitute what our vision of beauty is with things that we know and manufacture and produce because we can't see God's glory. There are people who would pursue carnal pleasures because they want to enjoy or a sense of pleasure and happiness, and we know that in the end, your conscience you know, will berate you and you feel worse after you engage in these carnal pleasures. The gospel sight allows men to see God. In order for us to see God, we need to have the gospel sight. And today I want to talk about that. How do you get the gospel sight? Without seeing God, who is the source of truth, we live in the veil of darkness. The Apostle Paul talks about this, that the veil of darkness was upon us until Jesus Christ came and tore that veil. And now light is able to penetrate into the Christian's life. And we have access to this beatific vision. Now, I'm going to be careful to say that when I refer to beatific vision, it is the beatific vision that is in the domain of our mortal and not the full beatific vision of God. Eventually, we'll be there, like the Apostle Paul says. Now we see in the mirror darkly, but then we'll see God face to face. Seeing God, Matthew 5 eight. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It means that we cannot behold God with our eyes. It is said in this verse that uh, we can see God, so we need to have some other kind of faculty to see God. So we need a supernatural or a spiritual faculty to see God. My thesis is that faculty is a new heart, not a new eye, a new heart. The reason is our heart right now is evil, is wicked. Ezekiel, the prophet, says that we have what's called a stony heart. And this heart, according to Jeremiah, it is wicked, desperately sick, no one can know it. This heart, in Genesis, evil continually in the heart of man. We can't perceive anything except evil through this heart. So we conceive evil, we see evil, we do evil. So we need a new heart. And let me read to you Ezekiel 36, 26, a new heart. Also, I will give you a new spirit I will put in you, and I will take away your stony heart out of your flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh. There is a discrepancy here. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. One thing I learned about uh, the Reformers is that they don't teach you how to live your life, but they teach you how to read the Bible or how to interpret the Bible. Here's a way to look at the text, a piece of text, and then understand how we should interpret the text according to the Christian traditions. Otherwise, we'll become heretics if we start interpreting the Bible the way that we feel like. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. We have a body that God has created. And it is a fleshly body, which is a good body, because when God created man, he said, 
It is good. It's perfect, actually. But something happened to us. In this flesh, we have a heart, but what's wrong with the heart? It's wicked and it's stony. So God is not giving us, I use the term new heart, but because of the Bible, but what it really means is that God is restoring the right heart to us. He's giving us, again, He's taking this stony heart out of our flesh and giving us back the heart of flesh. He's restoring. Jesus is not creating a new race. He's restoring God's creation that has sinned. So a new heart here, by implication of this text, is that a restoration of the right heart. Restore like David, like that song, restore in me a right heart. Restoring this heart of flesh. And how does he restore this heart? God promised that he will give Israel a new heart by sprinkling, if you look at the verse preceding to that, verse 25, sprinkling clean water on them. He also promised to take away the old stony heart. So there is a process. And this process instituted by Christ, one of the very first outward sign, it is baptism. So in the Old Testament, sprinkling of clean water is a shadow or it is a sign of what Christ would do in the New Testament, which is the form. So the sprinkling of clean water to wash Israel so that they will have a transformed heart from a stony heart to a fleshly heart by the transformation of the sprinkling of clean water. In the New Testament, we are told that Christ instituted the baptism, and that baptism is the death and the resurrection of a new man in Christ. If you are a Lutheran, when they ask you, are you born again, your response is, yes, I was baptized. That is the standard response. In the Calvinist tradition, that's not the standard response. Right? The standard response is, the Holy Spirit testified to my spirit that I am a son of God. And how do you know that? I feel it. Calvin disagreed. He said, you, know, you don't feel, you've got to believe. So, but baptism is the outward sign. The baptism is the outward sign of an inner grace. The church father says that there are seven, if you're Catholics, sacraments or sacramental graces. In our Protestant tradition, we believe only two sacraments of grace. And the sacraments of grace that we believe, one is baptism and two is the Lord's Supper. So only those two things. The reason is Christ said, this is what you need to do. Baptize everyone in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is my body. When you assemble, do this in remembrance of me. So those are the only two sacramental ordinances that Christ instituted in the church. Of course, I'm biased because I'm a Protestant. If you talk to Catholic, they would disagree, and they say there are seven, like confirmation, and all these other things, like marriage is also. But uh, Christ never said those were the things. He only said these two things. So um, what is a sacrament? A sacrament is an outward sign that signifies the inward grace. The baptism is the outward sign that God has given you the grace to be saved. So is the sacrament of the Lord's table. It is the outward sign that we are receiving the grace of Christ's body, flesh, life-giving flesh. Baptism is the outward sign that signifies inward grace. Here's another development in the medieval age. is They modified the church father definition of the outward sign that signifies the inner grace by adding another thing to it. 
the sacramental ordinance that we do outwardly not only signifies the grace that is inside of us, but it also confers grace. We'll leave that for another discussion. Baptism is important. It is the first entry into having a new heart. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 gives you the method in which we are transformed into a new creature and thus having a new heart. Secondly, we need to be renewed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, wait until the Holy Spirit come upon you and give you or confer to you the power to do my will. This is how we have a new heart and this is how we learn how to see God with a new heart through the baptism of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. The Father promised that he would give a new spirit and Jesus fulfilled that prophecy when he breathed upon his disciples at the resurrection or after the resurrection. He showed up, the disciples were in the room and he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is the genesis of our ability to see God. How do we see with a new heart? Using the heart to see God. In Ephesians 1.18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Two things. Number one is the calling. When you are able to see with the heart, you will know what God has called you to do. So that's number one sign of seeing with the heart. And number two is that you will see the riches of God's glory. So those two things. When you are able to see with the heart, you know what you need to do, and you will be happy in the process of working for God. The eyes of your understanding is enlightened by the gospel. You have what's called the gospel sight to see the riches of Christ's glory. So how do you see? You see it through the gospel. You see it through Christ Jesus. You see it through the manifestation of Christ in the word of God. Now, when I say gospel, I'm saying the Bible. I'm not saying just the New Testament. I'm saying the whole Bible. If you remember on the road to Emmaus, on the road to Emmaus after Christ's resurrection, there were two friends that were walking away from Jerusalem. On the way, Christ joined them and walked with them. What happened in that journey? He taught them, and he taught them the scripture. They didn't recognize that the scripture talked about Christ. So Christ is not just in the New Testament. Christ is in the entire Bible. It's also in the scripture. Let me define some terminology I use. When I refer to scripture, I mean the Old Testament. That's the Jewish scripture. When I refer to the New Testament, it's the New Testament, and the Bible is a combination of the two. When Jesus talked to them, he said, you don't understand what you're reading. The scripture talks about the Messiah, Christ. The whole scripture talks about Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is the gospel. The Old Testament, the scripture, promises the Messiah. The New Testament shows you the Messiah. And that whole process is called the gospel. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. And that is today in Bethlehem, born a son, Christ Jesus. And that is the gospel. That gospel means good news. Something that we can only see God when we meet him after the resurrection of the body. Let me give you this passage. This is a good passage to, to remember. Job 19, 26 and 27. He had no hope in his flesh that he would see God. 
And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. What Job is saying, when I get resurrected, then my eyes in this flesh will see God. Let me give you another person who actually saw God in this flesh before the resurrection. It was Stephen. That is before he died even. The scripture said he saw the glory of God and Christ is standing at the right hand of the Father. So that gives us hope. At least we can see a glimpse of God's glory, a glimpse of this beatific vision. I want to give you another way of looking at seeing with the heart. It is the conversation between Jesus and Philip. When Jesus says that they will see God, and Philip answered Jesus and he said, show us the Father, it would be sufficient. And here's Jesus' response in John 14, 9. Jesus says unto him, Philip, I have been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou, show us the Father? This bit of conversation shows us that Jesus expects Philip to see the Father. He's saying to Philip that you should be able to see the Father through me. So this is what Jesus' intention or God's intention for us is that we would see the Father. We would be happy. That's the intention. That is John 14.9. Why Philip wasn't able to see the Father? He's been with Jesus, staring at Jesus. How is he not able to see the Father? Christ being visible to Philip does not allow him to see the Father because seeing the Father requires him to have the gospel sight. It is not seeing with the eye. It is seeing with the heart. And that is why Philip wasn't able to see the Father because he's looking with his eyes, not looking with his heart, or he doesn't know how to look with his heart. There's one way to see God, and that's seeing him through Jesus Christ. And of course, he did not intend for us to see God through seeing Christ visibly because what happened to Christ? He's going to get crucified. He's not going to, get, he's not going to be here much longer. Being able to see God is seeing Christ, then Christ's ministry has failed because he died and he's no longer here. So Christ's intention for us to see God is to see God, to see Christ with our heart's eye and not with our physical eye, the gospel side. That's what we need to use to see God. How do we do this? Number one, rebirth in Christ gives the gospel sight. We need to have a new birth. We need to have the baptism of regeneration. Now, I want to draw a distinction. There are people who take communion without believing in God. It does not mean that when you take the bread, when you drink the cup, you are partaking Christ's body and blood. It has to be done in faith, by faith. Baptism is the same. It doesn't mean you dunk someone in water that makes them a new creature. It doesn't work that way. It has to have faith is the ingredient, the main ingredient for you to have a new life. Secondly, think about vision in this way. When you teach a child to walk and you tell the kid, well, you see me walking? Walk. It won't work. The only way for you to teach a child to do anything is to talk to the child and have the child trust you. It illustrates the trusting in the voice 
of Jesus Christ. The scripture says that we learn by listening and obeying God's voice. That's how we learn and that's how we come into being. What do we learn? We learn by the gospel, the law of the gospel. There is a law. If we apply this law, the principle of the law to our, uh, our life, then it will work. That's why it's called the law. It will work if we apply it in principle and practice. Learning to see. We need two things. We need the gospel light and we need the gospel sight. Blindness comes in two forms. Blindness comes when there are no eyes. When you don't have eyes, you can't see. If you have eyes and your eyes don't work, you can't see. Even if you have eyes and there's no light, you can't see. Blindness is when you don't have sight or you don't have light or you don't have both. If you're missing any of those two things, if you have eyes and you have no light, you can't see. If you don't have light and you have eyes, you still can't see. If you don't have eyes, you can't see. You have. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shine into our hearts, not into our eyes, into our hearts, to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The only way for our heart to see is that God causes light to shine into our heart, shine on the face of Jesus Christ. I am the light of the world. Spiritual sight, we are told in the scripture that the just shall live by faith and not by sight. The gospel light requires spiritual eyes to see. That is when God shines his light into our heart and the light of God is the glory of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the gospel. The gospel is the word of Jesus Christ. Christ is the spiritual light. So we need these two components. We need the light and we need new eyes or a new heart. The light is Jesus Christ. John chapter 8 verse 12 I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Either walk in me, or not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So Jesus Christ is our spiritual light. The gospel is the spiritual sight. We don't see it by having some kind of organ that allows us to see the spiritual world. We see because of the gospel. The gospel enlightened our spiritual eyes so that we are able to see being able to see and walk in God's light is hearing God's voice. And in Peter, 1 Peter 2.9, instructed by Peter to walk out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So we're hearing God's voice and we walk per God's voice. That's called faith. So Jesus is the spiritual light and the gospel is our spiritual sight. How do we use the spiritual sight? 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Eventually, we will see God as he is. But we can get a glimpse of him now because we have been reborn into the kingdom of God. And as newborn babes in Christ, we, have, we are not yet able to see him as he is. And in this flesh, we'll never be able to see his full glory but we can see glimpses of this glory through the gospel. And as you study and learn the gospel, you will see Christ more clearly as you have more abundance of the gospel in you. There was a moment in church history, I told you before, that someone saw the full glory of God. He looked up, the, the scripture said, he looked up into heaven and he saw the glory of God. He saw God and he saw Christ standing at the right hand of God and he was smiling. He was smiling. I believe that when we 
capture a glimpse of God's glory, pain, agony, even death, it's not compared to this beatific vision, this glorious moment that we are able to glimpse God's glory. I don't have the words, and I, I don't think that we are ever going to have the words to describe what this means, but just look at Stephen. He, he saw God's glory, and he, he smiled. This is such great hope for us that when we get a glimpse of God's glory, that's all we ever want. Short of beatific vision is what I'm aiming for. Besides the very few biblical accounts, Moses, Uzziah, Stephen, mortals don't have beatific visions, unless you're Catholic. Christ's glory is shown through the gospel's sight. The word of Christ is light. Psalm 119, 105, we know this by heart. Thy word is a lamb unto my feet. But here's another one in the same chapter, 130. Thy words giveth light. So not only it is light, but it also confers light. Christ's word is light. When the psalmist says that thy word, what he's saying is the word of God. And the word of God is Christ. The word of God was with God in the beginning. So the word of God is Christ. And when he says that thy words giveth light, it means that Jesus Christ give light. And of course, Jesus fulfilled this prophecy by saying, I am the light of the world. The light of Christ is his word. A Christ that is born again needs light to see the truth. That glorious light is the gospel light. We must read, learn, meditate, believe the word of Christ. To have the gospel light shines into our spiritual eyes, meaning our heart. Without reading and studying the Bible, we are spiritually blind. So the only access for us to see is to learn the word of God, and that is the Bible. Without learning the Bible, we won't have the spiritual sight. Hearing is the sight. If the word of Christ is the light, then hearing is the sight. The gospel was originally declared by the angels to the shepherds, telling them to come and find Jesus Christ. I believe that the shepherds can't read. So that is the lowest profession. If they can't do anything else, they get to do the shepherd's job. They can't read. The only way for them to know the gospel is to hear the gospel. And so the angels well, first came to them, to the unlearned, to the ones who can hear and obey, and they're simple. So when they hear the gospel, they ran to see what Jesus was born, and they saw him. They witnessed this Christ. Hearing the word of Christ is sight. Beholding Christ is obedience to the gospel message. We see God's vision when we hear the gospel declared. Believe Jesus Christ's word, and you will have the gospel sight. That's it. So as we're sitting here, and we're going through the scripture, the Bible, we're hearing God's message. This is hearing Hearing of the Bible is spiritual sight. John 12, 46, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. I come. This is the verb. When Jesus came and then he died and he is no more, but his word is still with us. And his word is still proclaiming through the people who are faithful to transmitting God's word. And that is how we receive sight. Spiritual sight is when the word of God is proclaimed. So it's not only when the word of God is proclaimed, but we read the word of God and that is the light. So the word of God is light and when it's proclaimed, it becomes sight. The two different ends of your eye. Your eye has the cornea, which is the front, the lens. 
the light hits the cornea and the cornea focuses the light into the back of the eye and that's called the retina. So you need the light that comes into your eye, which is the physical organ, and then you need this cornea in the front and you need this retina in the back that then the light hits the back of the eye, which is the retina, and the retina takes the photons, which is the particle of light, and translate that into neural signals. And then that will send into your brain because your brain doesn't interpret photons. So your brain takes the electrical impulses and then makes sense out of it. But we're not talking about um, perception right now. We're only talking about visual. So uh, the light of Christ is the word. Someone needs to read the word. And then they preach the word. And that is like the retina part. You hear, you understand what that word implies. But someone needs to read the word. Otherwise, where do we get the actual word? So those are the two components to the gospel site. Now, the last part is the gospel message. Let me turn you back to Samuel chapter 3, and we'll end with this story. Let me read to you Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, the beginning of this story. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. Here's the story of Israel. Israel is in a state of darkness. And why they are in a state of darkness? Because the priest of the Lord is blind, spiritually blinded at first, and then he was physically blinded, and then he was eternally blinded. He was spiritually blinded because being a priest of God, he should know what the will of God is for the people, but he didn't. He let his son run amok. His sons defiled the temple with all the sacrifice that people come to give and they despise the Lord. The scripture said they despise the Lord's sacrifice because of Eli's son. They were wicked before the Lord. So he was blind to fear of the Lord and the sight of God. Later on, he became physically blind. He sat there and when he heard that the Ark of Covenant was taken, captured by the Philistines, he fell over backwards and broke his neck and he died. Okay, so this story is before that. This story is when Samuel was born and Samuel was given to Eli as a kind of like a child in the temple, to live in the temple. And God raised up this boy whom he revealed the vision. Okay, remember in the story, Samuel was sleeping and then God spoke to him. The scripture says that God gave him vision. So we know that the vision of God, in this case, came through the ears, not goes through the eyes because he was sleeping. The word of the Lord was precious, meaning the vision of the Lord comes in the form of the word of the Lord. There was no open vision, meaning when the Bible or when the word of God is not proclaimed, then we live in darkness. There's no vision. But when Samuel was in the temple, God began to speak to Samuel. Vision of God is being restored to this boy. The gospel light comes. It reveals the truth. The light of the truth reveals the darkness that is in us. And it drives us to plead God for mercy and forgiveness. That's what should happen. We receive vision through the gospel message. Meaning we receive the will and the ordinance, the will of God through the gospel message. We know what God wants by reading his word. When the light shines or when the gospel light shines into our hearts and to the hearts of the people, what it does is that it reveals the darkness that is hiding or shielding all these things that are inside of us. And it should drive us to repentance. 
If Eli, when he heard what Samuel said to him by way of God's vision, came to God and begged for forgiveness and asked God for instruction, I am very certain that God would hear him because the most wicked king in Israel, Ahab, yeah, most wicked king, Elijah came to him and said, God's going to punish you for, uh, for doing this wicked act. And what did Ahab do? He put sackcloth on, he put ashes on, he took off his kingly raiment and sat in ashes and sackcloth and he repented. And what did God do? God let him live. I believe that when the light comes and reveals the darkness within us, it should drive us to repentance and we should seek God for forgiveness. And even when Samuel talked to Eli, he said, let it be done. He didn't have any uh, sense in him to ask God for forgiveness and to help him. The Christian responsibility is not to hide what God has said, even though the truth might offend the hearer. The story tells us Samuel was afraid to show Eli, his master at this point, the vision that he received. And Samuel lay until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. He was afraid. He didn't want to. He did not want to disturb the status quo. Everything seems to be the way it traditionally had been. So he didn't want to disturb it. But then Eli insists because Eli knew something had happened here. And he said, show me, son, what did the Lord tell you? And Samuel told Eli everything that God has shown him. And Eli said, sounds good. Let God do to me as he wished. That is not a good response. The same response we hear from another king, Hezekiah, remember, when he prayed to God, God gave him 15 years. He was so happy. And then what happened the second time we show the house of God, and then God came and said, I will take everything from you. I will take it from your son. And he said, okay, that's good. And then that's what happened. He didn't have the sense to come back to God and repent. My emphasis here is on repentance. God is a merciful and gracious God. We must be faithful to deliver the gospel, even though Samuel was afraid. He said it. And once he said what he needs to say, God performed his word. That's what vision is. So when we speak the vision of God, God performed his word. And then the scripture ends with this. The greatest mark that is defined in Samuel's service to God was that he did not let any of God's word fall to the ground. The scripture says, every wit and hid nothing. He showed everything to Eli. He did not hide anything. He did not sugarcoat any of the gospel message. He showed everything. And the scripture said he grew and God was with him. So when we are faithful to the vision, like I said in the beginning, the vision of God is glorious, but it's also painful to expose us of the hidden and dark things in our lives. But we need to be faithful to show it. And when we do, God will be with us and we will grow if we are careful to keep every word of God from falling to the ground. Father, we come to you and ask if you would cause us to have a desire to seek for an open vision, like what you have done for Samuel in the time when Israel was in its darkest hour. You shone a light, and through Christ, Lord, uh, when the world, the entire world was in darkness, your light penetrated the darkest part of humanity. And in our hearts, you've shown the glory of Jesus Christ in each one of us. And I pray that we are faithful, that we will be faithful, and we would be beholding your word in, in reverence 
and in faithfulness, not letting any of the word of the Lord to fall to the ground, but that we will be faithful in transmitting what we have learned, what we've studied, what we have memorized in our hearts to convey to this generation the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that you raise in us, each one of us, the spirit of Samuel, that we'll have the audacity to stay fervent, to stay committed to the gospel, and to speak it even though it is difficult sometimes for people to hear the gospel, but that we'll be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to the vision that you have placed in our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.